0: We um we're in week five of our sermon series on freedom, and I am excited. We're gonna talk about generosity this morning. I don't think I don't think you can talk about finances and not cover generosity. We're not covering it in a way that Paul says you shouldn't give under compulsion. You shouldn't be pressured. But we should give because it's a heart our hearts are turned to turn towards God. That's what we're going to talk about. So we're going to read from second Corinthians. Why don't you welcome all those watching online again? One more time. We're thankful for them over at Mountaineer, um, the Mountaineer recovery center and Fort Dietrich fire department. We love having all those with us really all over the country. Uh, joining us this morning, and then our church in Berkeley Springs. I'm so happy to be with you this morning as well, and excited about all that God is doing there. So why don't we stand in honor of reading the Word, and we're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 1. You can see it on the screen. You can you can find it in your phone app. You can find it on the Bible app as well. And if you own one of those paper Bibles, those are good too. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Say amen if you're ready. You got sound good this morning. Now it is superfluous. Can I, I'm going to stop right there. I have never used the word superfluous before, so this is my first time. Uh, you really intellectual people are, are already excited. Ha <laughs> ha. This is an ESV translation, if you're wondering. That's the one I always preach from. So there we go, superfluous. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about. I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has already been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred, stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so they may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. by their approval of this service they will glorify god because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of god upon you thanks be to god for his inexpressible gift father we thank you for your word this morning you you promise us that if we that if we look into it and we remember it, that it would change us. Lord, it's times like these where we gather together and look at your word. That has an opportunity to change change our lives, change our destinies. We pray that you would do that today as we turn our hearts towards you, make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen, you may be seated. This is Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. We call it 2 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. It was about a year after he wrote his first letter. And we find out that in his first letter, he's talking about a conversation they had already had about the church in Jerusalem. So the church in Jerusalem was having, was going through a massively difficult time. There was a famine in the land and... And they're struggling. I mean, it's just bad. So Paul thought it would be a good idea to go around to the churches that he had started to see if he could collect an offering for the church in Jerusalem. So how many of you know it's good to honor where the thing came from? Amen? Amen? It's good to honor your parents. It's good to honor your grandparents. It's good to honor the people that started good things. And so the the gospel comes out of the church of Jerusalem and goes all over the place. So what happens is Paul's like, "Hey, where the where it started is having trouble. Why don't all, Why don't all the other churches get together and and we'll try to support them?" And so when you read First Corinthians, you find out his first letter to them that it's like a conversation they had already had he says now now pertaining to the gift that we're going to collect so it's like it's like the conversation had been going on a while so he writes his first letter to them on a topic they had already discussed and now a year later he writes another letter to them second corinthians talking about actually the physical act of coming to them and collecting the money that's like over a year that's over a year to think about being generous. That's over a year period to, to have the warm and fuzzies about being generous wear off. Anybody ever wanted to be generous and then the warm and fuzzy worn off? Yeah. Don't look at your spouse. It wasn't like today where we could start a GoFundMe or post something on Facebook or do something and get this instant response. I mean, they were, they were writing letters and hand-carrying them to each other. When I, when I travel today, it is the easiest era for humans to travel. It's just easy because I've got a cell phone that works pretty much anywhere. When I'm in Kenya, I have cell service 99% of the places I go. The ironic part is I can go to Back Creek Valley and lose service. <laughs> That's another sermon, but anyway. <laughs> but it's super easy. So I can, I can be in Kenya and I can text my wife and she can pretty much get it any time I text her. Got to remember that seven-hour time difference. That's important for a marriage. Um, I can text her. I can FaceTime her. I'm, I'm connected to her in a way that can bring an instant response. And, and that's the way we're kind of used to things happening today. But but then it wasn't so. I mean, you're hand-carrying letters and so it would take, it could take months. It could take a month to get something. It could, you're back and forth in this conversation. It could take a long time to come to fruition. And so Paul's writing these letters that are corresponding with Paul and it just takes a while for these things to develop. Anytime it takes a while for something to develop, you could lose interest in it. Amen? So generosity is the same way. God calls us as followers of him, as recipients of the most generous thing that anyone has ever done. No greater love had a man that he lays down his life for his brother. Jesus went to the cross. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were physically and mentally and emotionally Incapable of even recognizing it, he died for all humanity. The most generous thing anyone has ever done, God sends his only son, and Jesus is crucified on our behalf. So anytime that we bend our hearts towards being generous, we are becoming like Christ. Everybody get that? The problem is our emotions sometimes don't lead the way on this. But we're an emotional people. And so can you imagine collecting an offering for the church in Jerusalem for over a year? You're like coming to church like, hey, we're doing that all in Jerusalem. I'm like, get over it. I mean, is the famine over already? Like, what's happening? Can't those people take care of themselves by now? No, we're still collecting that offering for Jerusalem? Don't forget. I mean, it kind of could be exciting at the beginning. We're going to help them out. And then over a year passes. Some of you have 15 second attention spans, much less 15 months. So Paul, in his first letter to the church in Corinth, gives them some structure for this. Because he knows that we can be a little fickle with things. Do we use, as first service, we still use that word, fickle? We can be a little in one day, out the next, we can be a little happy one day, not happy the next we It kind of is circumstantial a lot of times isn 't it? Are you just the only? am I just the only one that 's circumstantial happy yeah, some of you fake it pretty well, but verse sixteen in first in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter sixteen verse one paul says this now concerning the collection for the saints as I directed the churches of Galatia. Remember, he's talking to a whole bunch of churches. not just He's talking to the big C church, not just one. So he's talking to Corinth. He's talking to Galatia. We find out he's also talking to the church in Macedonia. So he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I direct the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. Now listen to this. He says, he gives them some structure about how they're going to be generous. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. As he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredited by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So he, he, he's, he's giving them some structure on how to be generous towards the church in Jerusalem. He said, okay, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a portion of what you have you notice he didn't tell everybody the amount. A portion of what you have. And I want you to set it aside the beginning of every week. Set it aside the beginning of every week. As you prosper. We're going to get into that in a second. Those were the instructions. He said, keep doing this so that when I come, I don't have to collect it. I don't have to, I don't have to do a big pitch. I don't have to encourage you to give. I don't have to do a sales pitch about how bad Jerusalem is. I don't have to come up and pressure you. You will already have determined in your heart that you wanted to be generous. Everybody following me? So Paul is saying, if we set up the plan, there is no pressure. Oh man, if we only had some plans in a few areas of our life the pressure would go down. He's saying, if you have a plan, it reduces the pressure. How many of you are planners? you buy in the house. Oh, this is good. I'm, I'm, I'm in your house. I'm like in your living room. You're like, oh, isn't this warm and fuzzy? If you're like me, you're always under pressure. What's your plan? I'm coming up with one. Just give me a second. If you're a planner... The pressure is less because you're just following the plan. So you don't get excited in the middle of the plan because you know it's part of the plan. Hey, listen, just, we're just going to follow the plan. And the people that don't plan are flipping out in the middle of it. And they're like, it's all. And you're like, no, 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 just stick with the plan. Trust me, it's going to work. Just keep following the plan. Just keep doing it the way we're supposed to do it. And everything's going to turn out all right. And there's people like me who walk in and go, I don't know. So Paul knew this. He knew that it was going to be a period of time. So anything done over a period of time needs some structure. Amen. You have to raise your kids until they're eighteen. Have a plan. It reduces the pressure, doesn't it? Like, hey, what are you guys going to do when you're? I don't know. We'll just wait till see what we get there. Have a plan. Have a plan for your marriage. Have a plan before you get married. Hey, if any of you aren't married yet, have a plan. That will save you from getting married twice. Have a plan. Have a plan. What are we going to do when this thing goes sideways? Because guarantee, can I give you a little premarital advice? It's going sideways. Oh, trust me. About every seven years. You can stay married 50 years. You got seven of them coming at you. You better have a plan. Or you're going to be flipping out every time it happens. What are you going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. Have a plan. Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians when he's talking about this, Hey, we've discussed this offering for the church in Jerusalem. Now I want to give you a plan to be able to sustain generosity for a long period of time because he knows it's going to be a while. Before they're gonna come collect, a year passes. So he says, Set each of you set something aside on the first day of the week as you prosper, so that there'll be no collecting when I come, and when I arrive I'll send those whom you accredited by a letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So the plan. Can I tell you this right now? Money management should never be ruled by your feelings. Never. If you're only saving for retirement when you feel like it, you're going to be broke. Because nobody feels like saving for retirement. If you're only generous when you feel like it, you'll never be generous. There's always this tug of war in our system with our feelings, isn't it? In our relationships, think about it. Sometimes you feel close to people and sometimes you don't. But if you operated only on your feelings, it would make you not close to people. So that's why Paul says, I know there's some warm and fuzzies here, but I want to give you a long-term plan on how to make this successful. Because without it, we can be we can be as people apt to fluctuate according to the way we feel when we wake up in the morning. And can I be transparent with you? Sometimes I don't sleep real well. There is a wrong side of the bed when you wake up. And I don't feel like being generous to anybody, including my family. If you, if you only do it according to how you slept or how you wake up or how you were treated that day, chances are I'm going to do it a lot less. you going to leave me up here? Berkeley Springs understands where I'm coming from. All of you people are saints, that's fine. You're like, I'm generous all the time, Pastor Chris. No idea what you're talking about. You're human. So therefore, you're stingy. So Paul does not talk about feelings. He talks about just, we're going to make a plan for this. Here's how it's going to work. Jerusalem is hurting right now, and so we're going to go around the churches and we're going to do we're going to we're going to make a collection for them. And so we got to separate it from the way we feel. So that's the first thing. Here's how we're going to make it simple: just once a week, set something aside. You know, get your Jerusalem piggy bank out. You know, the the big the big jar or whatever. Put a little bit in it every now and then. Tie a goat to it. You know, set it aside. Whatever you're going to do, set it aside. Just keep setting it aside as a pattern, as a plan, as a routine. You know, sometimes it's okay to have a routine. Because routines make you consistent. Like getting up the same time every morning, reading the same time every day, going to bed the same time. It makes you what they call responsible adults. Wow, that's a novel idea. Paul is actually teaching us how to be responsible. What's responsible look like? Just do the same thing. Get up at the same time and go to work when you're expected. So he says, don't treat generosity any different than you would treat being responsible. So he says, okay, first day of every, I don't know why I picked the first day, who cares? That's when they got together. Okay, whatever. The third day works for you. Do it on the third day. He says the first day every week sets them aside. That way when I come, I don't have to collect it. I don't have to, I don't have to say anything. I don't have to put any high pressure sale on you. Just plan on it. The second thing he says, each one of you, he doesn't, do you notice he doesn't leave anybody out? It's not a sliding scale for generosity. Well, those of you that make under this amount don't have to give anything. You notice that he's not saying people who have less don't have to plan. Amen? Did you notice how he included everybody? He didn't say because you only make X, you don't have to do this. Only the people that make Y have to do this. No, he said each one of you. And we'll get into here in a second. In his first, in chapter 8 of his second letter, he talks about the church in Macedonia... Who was really poor themselves, who begged for the opportunity to also participate in this. And so he tells them hey, listen, I was bragging about you to the church in Macedonia, who is giving far more than what they actually should be able to do. They got a good plan. So he says, set it aside. And by the way, this has nothing to do with how much money you make. It has everything to do with your heart being turned towards God. So he says, everybody's included. Everyone. Then he says this, as you prosper yourself. So watch what happens. Make a plan that includes everyone. And the amount changes as you prosper. That seemed pretty easy, didn't it? Make a plan, make it routine. This is how I'm going to do this, just like paying my electric bill. I'm gonna, because if I'm gonna be generous, do you notice there's no emotion when you pay your electric bill? You just do it. You never sit down and you go, Man, this electric makes me feel so good. (laughs) Just. Nobody's running over hugging their stove because they're like, the electric. You just pay it. Amen. Your gas bill, you just pay it. You never, you never pull up to the gas pump and hug the gas pump and go, wow, selfie time. I'm like, feel so good about the gas. You just pay it. There's so many things that we do in life where we're just like, this is what, this is what I'm doing. But when it comes to generosity, we gotta oh, we gotta get the warm and fuzzies. We gotta make sure it's the right thing. We gotta make sure oh. oh, oh. Here's what I know about warm and fuzzies, they come and go. <laughs> it's like having a neighbor move in with you. I don't know that this has ever happened. I'm just it's just an illustration. So don't 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 act like your neighbor told me this was going on. It's like your neighbor moving in the first time. And they come over and they want to borrow some sugar. I don't even know if that happens anymore. They want to borrow some sugar. And you're like, yeah, I get to meet the neighbor. I'm going to help him out with some sugar. This is so, man, this is like, this is like Mayberry. This is awesome. I feel so good about it. Your spouse comes home and the kids are like, we helped the neighbor out with some sugar today. Oh, it was great. They're really good people. But the next day they come over and want to borrow the lawnmower. Do you even know how to drive it? (laughs) And then they, they keep wanting to borrow something, wanting to borrow, and then finally they break something. And the warm and fuzzies you had at the beginning, you know what happens. Now you're on the phone like, these people are killing me. There wasn't a plan. I'm just operating on feelings, so I'm trying to figure out whether I even want to do it anymore. Because the feelings are gone. And i would contemplating singing the song, but I think I'll just mouth it. It's more than a feeling. <laughs> it is. Any of you have ever been in any relationship, you know a relationship has to transcend feelings at some time. At some point in time, you're going to wake up and be Discontent at some point in time you're going to wake up and have your feelings hurt at some point in time you're going to wake up in a relationship and realize that it's not all that. What there's no butterflies anymore you can't, even, you can't even ship them in they're just gone for the moment so Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says don't let any of this be based on how you feel today about the church in Jerusalem you know how we do it don't you we start having debates whether the after about six months, we're gonna hold a committee meeting about about whether the church in Jerusalem is even worth it anymore. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a committee to decide, well, are they gonna use it the way we think? And Paul's like, hey, listen, let's just skip all that and let's just make it a routine. Let's let's show God that we're just gonna consistently, like paying the electric bill, turn our, our hearts towards Him. We've predetermined that it was worth it. I don't know. I think God did something like that all the way back in Genesis when the fall of man happened and God told Adam and Eve, I already think it's worth it. It says, from the foundations of the world, He planned to send Jesus to the cross. He already deemed you worth it. And so in my heart, when I plan on generosity, I am telling God, I already think it's worth it. I'm paying the electric bill because I think it's worth it. I'm paying the Comcast bill because I think it's worth it. I do call them about every six months and say, hey, what do you do about this? Because <laughs> I think it's worth it. And so Paul's saying, if you think it's worth it, make it part of the plan. Budget it. Budget the generosity. Now, now he says everyone should participate as you prosper. So that means, as I prosper, my participation rate changes. Amen? As I prosper, if he didn't say that, we could all just give the same amount and be like, yeah, check the box. But what happens is, as I prosper, he's saying the participation rate should go up. If God has blessed me, my heart should be turned more towards him. Amen? Amen? That's why if I've been married 50 years, there's no chance. My participation rate should be up. I remember feeling dedicated the first year of our marriage. Now that we've been married a quarter of a century, this thing right here is more than a feeling. It feels good, but even if it doesn't, you're not going to get it off my finger my participation rate has went up over the years look at your neighbor and say that's i'm i'm with him that's true for me too <laughs> generosity is not a feeling it's a plan if you're not planning on being generous you may rarely never rarely ever feel like it there's always something else planning is an indicator of where i'm turning my heart when we plan to do things, we're telling God up front, this is, where, this is what's important to me. I took the time to sit down and plan it out. I took the time to sit down and, and set it aside. I took the time to figure it out. It's important to me because I know it's important to you. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That's chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, Paul's talking about the church in Macedonia. He said, out of their poverty, they planned to give. They begged for the opportunity to give. And he said, man, I was shocked. I talked to him about how you guys have been planning for a long time, and when they heard about that, they said, we want in on this thing. So where you're at in the economic status doesn't matter. It's the act of turning your heart towards God is what matters. Planning to do that. Paul transitions in chapter 9 because now he's starting to talk to them about him coming to receive it and take it to the church in Jerusalem. He's planning on sending Titus and two other people to come collect the offering and take it. Now he warns them, he says, Listen, I brag to to the church in Macedonia about you. If a few of those people come with us and you're not ready, we're all going to look dumb. We're all going to look dumb. So make sure after over a year of preparation, make sure you make sure you're not make sure you the plan was working. So he adds this in in verse six. The point is this: whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. All right, I believe this thing has probably been mispreached. A bunch. Paul is using uh, a planting illustration. He's saying, listen, here's the point of this thing. There is a correlation between how much, there is a correlation between how much, but you have to decide. Did you hear that? He didn't say, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, whoever sows generously will reap generously, and then end it. He says that and he says each one of you has to decide in their own hearts how much you want to give, not under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. Just make a decision. Make your own decision. So watch this. He tells them if you so sparingly then the harvest is correlated to how much you put in the ground. If you sow generously, the harvest is still correlated to how much you put in the ground. So he gives them the principle, and then he, he, doesn't, he doesn't coerce them with the principle. He follows it up with, you make the decision. So remember when he says, don't give under compulsion? So many churches have used this to force people to give under compulsion. So he, so they say this, well, if you sow sparingly, you're not going to get anything back. That's not what he said. He said, if you sow sparingly, the harvest will be in correlation to what you put in the ground. That seems logical, doesn't it? So how would I then take that verse and try then to compel you to just give more than you can? Because he follows those, that statement up with, each one of you has to decide. It's so funny how we could twist scripture up. If you, don't, if you don't put this much in, God's not going to bless you. And then he, but then we don't read the rest of it. And he says, you have to decide for yourself because you should not be giving under compulsion. You should not be giving because a slick guy in a sport jacket told you that you weren't giving enough. Because just as the feeling of butterflies in your stomach from being generous, you can also be generous out of feelings of guilt. And, and the second one is definitely not scriptural. He says, I don't want you to give because somebody compelled you to give. I want you to understand how this planting and reaping works and then I want you to make a decision. I want you to make a decision. Because once you make a decision, then you have a plan. So he says, each one of you have to make a decision. So he tells them the sowing and reaping thing. Now we don't, we don't use farming illustrations more because not a lot of people follow farm. But there's farming illustrations all through scripture. He said it's like this. If you give a little bit, you will get a harvest according to the little bit that you give. Now listen to me. He didn't say that the little bit you give wouldn't be multiplied. He said it would be multiplied at the rate that you give it. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. Okay. I get that. That doesn't mean don't sow. That doesn't mean if you only have a little bit, it doesn't mean don't have a plan for it. It just means that there's a correlation between how much you put in and how much comes back. Does that make sense? Nobody puts one kernel of corn in the ground expecting one kernel to come up. Why would you do that? You'd have to plant 8,000 corn kernels to get one bowl of popcorn. We eat a lot of popcorn. 8,000. So what Paul's saying is there's a correlation between what you put in and what the return will be. I need to make a very strong point right here. There is nowhere in this passage does it say give and don't provide for your family because you want more return. Nowhere does it say give and don't think about retirement. He's saying, make generosity part of the plan. Amen? And just as if you get more, you can save more for retirement, as you get more, you can be more generous. The plan is not to not save for retirement and hope somebody else feels like being generous. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying Make it part of the plan and realize that there's a correlation between what you put in and what you get out. Just realize that's the case. But don't let anybody compel you on those terms. So make a decision for yourself about what you're going to do with what you have. And we've been talking this whole time. A budget is a good thing. Amen? A budget could keep you generous. Even when you don't feel like it. So he says, when you sow... You reap. That's the principle here. When you sow, you reap. Paul is illustrating the principle that the sower has the ability to plant as much or as little as they decide. But the law of sowing and reaping will apply. All right. I need to make one other point on this. Now, if you're going to plant something, you're going to have a plan to plant it, right? I don't think anybody here has ever walked down their front yard And just took a, you know, grabbed a bag of popcorn and just went, I'm going to throw it out. See what, your neighbor comes over, what are you doing, Plant a garden? First of all, you know that's popcorn, right? And you still got grass in the yard, and it's weird that you're doing it right in front of my house. That's weird. It's like you didn't plan. (laughs) Actually, you're throwing them in my yard. (laughs) I don't want a corn crop in my yard, Thanks. You would never walk out and just do it randomly like that. Not if you expected a return. Now, now, if you didn't expect a return or you were naive, you can might, without a plan, just throw it out. Just wing it. But a person who is serious about growing tomatoes has a plan. They're going to plant them in the right spa- space for the right amount of sun. They're going to get the soil tilled up just right. They may even plant a little. They may make a little raised bed where you can get it up you can get the real good soil that you go buy. Yeah, and you mix it up with some stuff and you put miracle Grow in it or maybe some of your organic type, you know. And you mix it up and then you plant them and then you... We- There's a plan in place. Paul is saying... Don't do it recklessly. Don't just do it whenever you feel like it. Make sure that you understand the laws about how these things work. And if you're expecting a harvest, take care of when you're planting it and how you're planting it and all those things because these principles work in the kingdom. Don't be haphazard about it. Make sure it's a regular thing. Make sure it's part of your life. Don't do it just when you hear a sermon or or, or don't do it just when, when somebody tells you about something that's really needy. Make it part of who you are, he says. So he says, have a plan. Here's how sowing and reaping works. And then he says this. Planning to give will result in more to give. Now, everything has made sense up to this point. The band's going to come up. We're going we're gonna to close with this. Everything's made sense up to this point, just economically. Okay, if I'm going to make an investment, I'm going to invest, and I can expect a return on the investment. Amen? That's the way it works. You're going to put money in for retirement. So God's saying, listen, if you invest in the right things, there you get a return. If you invest in generosity, there is a return on that. How is there a return? If I'm giving to the church in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem ends up being able to make it, and there's a return for the kingdom. Amen? Everybody see that? So so now, now there's a supernatural aspect that comes into our generosity. And it actually works in conjunction with the sowing and reaping, but it actually supernaturally multiplies it. Because what he's saying is that this type of return doesn't depend on how much it rains. This type of return doesn't depend on good weather patterns. This type of return doesn't depend on the, the heat. This type of return doesn't depend on sunlight. He says, I will make sure there's a return for you. So now he's jumped out of the regular, just physical like plan for it. We can do this. And this is the law of sowing and reaping. And now he says this, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, Who's that? God himself. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Listen to verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So Paul's saying, listen, if you will bend your heart towards God, church, every time we do this, Every time we do it, every time there's a moment in our life when we say, God, you know what? I don't care how I feel. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I don't care what popular opinion is. I don't care. I understand what you're willing. I understand what you want me to do today. And you bend your heart towards God. There's a a supernatural reward that you can't just calculate on a computer. It's, it's not as simple as economics. It's, it's God injecting himself into it because he all of a sudden transcends interest rates and he says, I'm the supplier of the whole thing and I will make sure, regardless of everything else that's going on, he doesn't say it'll depend on this, it'll depend on that. No, he says, if you will bend your heart towards me, if you'll make a plan, if you'll bend your heart towards me, I will make sure that you have enough to keep doing that. Come on, that should make somebody a little happy in here, shouldn't it? That if you make a plan to bend your heart towards God, that He says, I will always meet you and I will always make sure that you have enough. He who will supply seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Paul's telling the church in Corinth that God will continue to supply them an abundance in order to be generous. God is rewarding the heart of generosity. Every time we turn towards him, he rewards us for it. God loves to give, and when we give, it produces joy in us, and he turns towards us as a reward. All right, I need you to stand up. I'm going to read this one last thing. Remember how we can't trust our feelings to start being generous. Remember that? So we said, we said, you gotta have a plan. And then we said there's a law of sowing and reaping. How much you sow will determine how much you reap. But then we said that God will supernaturally inject himself into that and make sure, no matter the economic circumstances, that if you've made a good plan to turn towards him, that he will keep you blessed in order to keep doing that. Amen? Listen to this. This is a Time Magazine article in 2017. In a new study published in Nature Communication, researchers from the University of Zurich in Switzerland told 50 people they'd be receiving about $100 over a few weeks. Half of the people were asked to commit to spending that money on themselves, and half were asked to spend it on someone they knew. The researchers wanted to see whether supplying, whether simply pledging to be generous was enough to make people happier. So before doling out any money, they brought everyone into the lab and asked them to think about a friend they'd like to give a gift to and how much they would hypothetically spend. They then performed functional MRI scans to measure activity in three regions of the brain associated with social behavior, generosity, happiness, and happiness, and decision-making. Their choices and their brain activity seemed to depend on how they had pledged to spend their money earlier. Those who had agreed to spend money on other people tended to make more generous decisions throughout the experiment. As in comparison to those who had agreed to spend it on themselves, they also had more inter- interaction between the parts of the brain associated with altruism and happiness, and they reported higher levels of happiness after the experiment was over. Come on. Science oftentimes has to scan our brain to prove what Scripture has already said. So what's he saying? I don't care what you feel like right now. If you will plan to be generous, the result of planning to be generous will be more happiness in your life, will be more joy in your life and will actually cause you to think about being generous more. Isn't that what we just read? Plan. God intervenes in the plan and causes you to be able to give more than what you planned. The study says the same thing. They hadn't even given any money away yet. All they did was make a plan to give it away. And the act of now, if you plan to give it away, give it away. He says the very fact of that you plan to give it away triggered areas of your brain that caused you to be more joyful about your circumstances. It doesn't say their circumstance changed. All they did was plan to give something away. So, the act of planning. So, then, so Paul's writing thousands of years before this study is done, and he's saying, if you will turn your heart towards God, God will give you more to do and more opportunity to do it. Amen? Then the study comes along and says, hey, if you turn your heart towards generosity, you will be happier about your life and you will want to be more generous. Come on. Jesus himself came and gave his life for you and me and withheld nothing from us. And here we are today with opportunities to do that all over the place. I don't have to give you a spiel about where you can be generous. You already know. All I'm saying today is part of our plan to prosper is planning to be generous. That's the heart of God. And we got to put it in motion and we got to keep it going even maybe when you don't feel like it. And what God promises is that when we do that, he will inject himself into our circumstances and he will keep that cycle going. He will continue to provide for you over in abundance so that you can plan to be prosperous, plan to provide for your family, plan to retire, plan to do all those things that are God honoring. Amen. Can we lift that up to him this morning? Can we thank him as we turn our hearts? There's nothing like him. He wants to bless you this morning. Come on,